This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A listener production. Hey, I'm Pro Surfer and mental health advocate Kubi Chapman, and this is Good Humans. Think back to when you were a kid, and there was always that one other kid that was an absolute freak at the same sport that you played. For me, that was Reese Hodge in the sport of rugby union. I twiddled off and went to be a surfer, and he stuck at rugby union. He's now playing for the Wallabies, and he's an absolute weapon. In this chat, he talks to me about the importance of hard work, but also how much responsibility he feels representing Australia. Reese is an absolute animal when it comes to rugby, and I can't wait for you to hear this chat. Mine and Reese's story is pretty cool. So looking back at my life, not many people on this podcast have actually got to learn too much about my growing up. I kind of always talk about the guests, but when I was younger, I used to play rugby union pretty heavily invested in it until I was about 13 and there was always this one kid in the team that would verse from Manly and from the Harbord Harlequins down where I lived on the northern beaches and he was always a gun and he's going to laugh at me blowing up his tyres here but there's always this one kid that was a freak in the other team and lo and behold he's now playing for the Wallabies and an absolute king of rugby union in Australia so looking back at your career mate what was it like growing up on the Northern Beaches and how important was that development part of your career as a kid growing up through young football? Oh, I reckon firstly it would have been better if you guys didn't beat us every time. But um, <laughs> no, it was obviously the Northern Beaches, is, um, you know, it's very sport, like sport, I guess, driven and everyone's into some kind of sport and um, most kids kind of, you know, dabble in whatever their mates are doing and that was kind of my upbringing as well was, was, was basically like my dad played rugby just at a lower, lower level when he was um, a bit younger, same as my uncles and stuff. So I kind of started off um, with rugby when I was like six and under sevens. I played like soccer when I was four till I was like seven or eight, played a bit of league, bit of AFL, a lot of cricket, kind of growing up through my teenage years as well. So for me, it was just a, obviously quite a fun thing to do with my mates and you know, we were quite lucky with the weather and the kind of the nature of the northern beaches is very sporty and you're always doing something active. So I think it was um, massive in terms of shaping the person that I am today and also having an enjoyable upbringing. We'll go back a little bit. So going through high school, tell me about that experience being so heavily invested in sport. What was it like with your education? How important was that to you and your family? Yeah, mum and dad were were massive on me trying as hard as possible in the classroom as well as, you know, out in the field or the, the cricket over, whatever it was. And I guess I was pretty lucky that I went to a, like an academically selective high school. So kind of took the test in, in year six when I was at Harbord Public School and um, managed to get into to Manly Selective High. So it was, I mean, for me, like as quite a sporty person, it was actually, you know, a bit of a different experience to a lot of kids who kind of grow up and uh, eventually play professional sports because there was kind of more band and 
debating and chess teams at my school than um, than actual sports teams. So it wasn't too hard to find the motivation and the resources and everything to actually knuckle down and, and study pretty hard. I guess I also had had the goal of doing um, physiotherapy at uni, which was was quite a high, high ATAR entry. So, yeah, I guess all my kind of studies were, were driven towards being able to get into that. And, you know, if I'd, you know, dropped off for a few weeks here at a time, I, I figured that I wasn't going to, you know, make it to that uni course. So um, there was a carrot at the end there for me at the end of high school, which kind of drove me quite hard. And I found throughout high school the kind of academic side was a really good balance for me in terms of my sport. So, yeah, I kind of guess it worked out all right. Yeah, definitely. We obviously got to hang out for anyone listening. I was lucky enough to spend a couple of weeks with um, Reese up training at my surf centre over Christmas last year and it was pretty special to see the hard work and dedication in the off-season just to maintaining the athlete that Reese is today. What are a couple of the values? Because I know we've talked about it a hard work and respect are two of the massive values for you. At what stage kind of in your development as a human did they become really important to you? Look, I think quite early on they were probably ingrained in me from from mum and dad, but it's probably only the last few years that I've really come to understand like fully what each of them mean to me because, you know, each value, you know, means a lot to different people and, you know, they can experience them and I guess exhibit them in different ways. So uh, for me growing up, like, yeah, mum and dad were always big on treat, you know, others the way that you want to be treated and just having that mutual respect. So like you give respect and you earn trust was kind of the way I was brought up. And yeah, I guess throughout my life, I've just tried to like, you always just try and stay humble throughout your journey and, you know, treat, treat other people, you know, exactly the way that you'd want to be treated is, is a pretty simple way to look at it, I think. And I think it, um, yeah, it's a good thing to just, keep in there growing up and it's kind of hard to talk about it's kind of something you do rather than I guess like kind of tell people that you do but um and then hard work the other thing for me is you know a few injuries along the way and you know I always pride myself on kind of working you know just as hard if not harder than the my competitors and I think the nature of me being a, a tall skinny white kid probably means that other people out there are a bit more athletically gifted than me but I always just wanted to, I guess, outwork them and, you know, give myself the best opportunity to succeed by working hard. So kind of two of my my really strong values that I still hold to stay. Yes, yeah, so beautifully put. And like you said, being that tall, skinny white kid and going through some injuries, you're definitely not the tall, skinny white kid anymore. I'll tell you that much. I'll, hopefully anyone listening to this can see some of the photos that will be accompanying this podcast of me and you kicking the footy. It's pretty funny. The, the size of you compared to the size of me now, going from like professional surfer to professional rugby player, it's pretty um, it's pretty cool to see the different shapes and sizes. But you touched on it real briefly, injuries. Finishing your high school career, tell me about that transition from high school rugby into your career with the Rebels. What was that journey like? Because I know there was an injury in the middle there. I guess I'll uh, try and shorten the the story down for you, but um, I guess the nature of being at that academic, you know, selective high school was there was no actual school sport. Like you know, a lot of the private school kids play on Saturdays and stuff like that throughout school. So I was kind of lucky in that sense that I ended up just playing Colts, which is like under twenties rugby for Manly, my club, when I was kind of 17, 18. and that kind of gave me like that natural transition to to Manly Rugby Senior Club. 
And then, yeah, I guess I was playing, you know, after schoolboy, Aussie schoolboys from school and then played my first year of Australian under-20s. We played over in France at the Junior World Cup and came back and um, was playing in the, the Colts grand final the end of that year. It was 2013. And, um, yeah, sustained a pretty bad ankle injury that I guess – the hardest part about the injury was kind of the, the timelines and the the constant kind of saying like originally that I would be out for five months and kind of ended up being about 17 or 18. So there are a couple of kind of setbacks in there, a couple of further surgeries, just based on a couple of complications from the injury. But yeah, I guess when you're told five months and you're working hard to that deadline and what actually happened was, you know, I came back around five months, ticked most of the boxes, but just kind of knew something wasn't right and trying to run and just had no no strength and it was it was still pretty painful. So I had to go in for another operation. And yeah, the nature of that second one was they were like, you know, it's about a 12-week recovery and sort of ended up being almost close to a year. Just one of those ones that just wasn't wasn't getting much better. And yeah, to the point where I kind of saw a, a specialist and she I still remember it. Um, it was pretty confronting when I was 19 years old and she she kind of said, you know, like we're going to do everything we can for this, but you got to kind of resign yourself to the fact that it might not ever be able to run pain-free ever again and, you know, it's obviously going to impact your your rugby. So that was a pretty tough thing to hear when I was 19, but I guess luckily kind of had second and third opinions and, and finally kind of went to a doctor um, that, you know, he, he tried to, well, he basically said that he was just going to inject it and um, that I was just going to have to grip my teeth and get through a couple of painful first couple of weeks of the rehab. And lo and behold, you know, the strategy that he kind of gave me ended up working and slowly, slowly got better and, yeah, managed to come back kind of at the start of 2015 through a few sevens tournaments for Manly. And, yeah, I guess um, then kind of that springboarded me into the 2015 season, um, shoot shield up in Sydney and, yeah, from there, was lucky enough to get signed by the Rebels and, and headed down at the end of 2015. Yeah, it's a really cool story and you've obviously gone through some serious setbacks. The one word that comes to mind when I think about that story is hope. How do you as a 18, 19-year-old who's obviously really smart as well, like you said, you got a big ATAR, you got into university. You did get into university, yeah. You started studying, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did three years of out of the four of physio um, before I moved down to Melbourne, but... Yeah, haven't managed to finish that yet. I think I got to 2023, so we'll see how we go. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you tick that one off too. But I think where I'm coming from is that finding hope and not just giving up and going, you know what, it's too hard. There's, like you said, 15, 17 months of going through injury and getting told you might not be able to run pain-free again. Was there moments of wanting to give up or how did you maintain hope through that period? No, I think um, I mean, we've kind of talked about this before, but obviously it's the first time the listeners would have heard it. But I, I kind of, I guess, directed my energy and, you know, my goals were kind of in in another way. And I was lucky that one of my really good mates from Manly had been through, you know, similar ankle injuries, not quite as long, but he'd kind of been through the whole experience prior to me. And I was really lucky that that he took me under his wing and kind of, I guess, pushed me in the gym. So I kind of saw it as an opportunity to um, really build up my upper body, build up my strength and you know, make sure that actually when I came back onto the field, I had a point of difference that I didn't have before. And that was, you know, my strength through kind of from my torso up. And, you know, he was kind of always telling me like, this is the point um, when I was actually a skinny white kid still coming out of school and, you know, wasn't lifting very, very much weight. Like I still remember um, we were doing testing out at the junior under 18s Wallabies thing in Sydney. 
and uh, I got stuck under like 60 kilos on the bench bench press and the other boys were warming up on it. And it was like, you know, really embarrassing because I actually hadn't been in the gym much before I was, you know, 16, 17. And, you know, coming out as a as a 19-year-old with this injury, my, yeah, my mate Dave Parecki, he kind of pushed me really hard in the gym. And I think I took my bench press from, I don't know, it was pretty weak at the time, under 100 kilos and, you know, pushed it 30, 40 kilos up and, you know, hit some PBs and, I found that when I actually got back out on the field, it, re- it really helped my game um, and gave me a point of difference from from where I was previously. So throughout that period, obviously, it was quite hard watching guys who I'd played Aussie schoolboys and Aussie under-20s with, and, and they were all making their Super Rugby debuts. So that was kind of hard, I guess, watching on and you know thinking that that I was capable of playing that level, but being injured and, and being incapable at that time. Um, so, yeah, I guess I really had to direct my energy towards getting better in the gym and yeah, it kind of ended up sort of paying off eventually. It definitely ended up paying off. So we're going to fast forward into that part of your career. Let's go. The The way you talk about that though, is so cool how you took a big setback and used it as an opportunity to come back stronger and hungrier is it's really cool that you didn't give up and you had that drive and you had that hard work ethic. Let's go into the rugby career with the Rebels what was it like playing your first game and how was it after that injury getting like a taste of that big league? Yeah, I guess most kids growing up playing rugby, you know, in Australia dream of making this super rugby debut. So, you know, heading down to Melbourne then in 2015, like I started preseason and come the the 2016 season, I really wasn't expecting to be to be playing at all kind of round one. Like you obviously hope for it and you strive for it, but it kind of all happened a lot quicker than I was expecting. But yeah, managed to make my debut over in Perth round one, and I was lucky. One of the the more experienced guys on the team, Tommy Ellison, he was he was cutting the defence to shreds and gave me a couple of easy tries that made me look a little a lot better than I than I actually was in that that first game. But um, the way it kind of eventuated for me was that the Rebels gave me my first opportunity, and you know now six years on, uh, I'm still down at the Rebels and. You know, I'm so keen to to repay them long term for the faith they had in me, you know, back at the start of my career and really proud to represent the state of Victoria now as well. So it's kind of it's funny how it's all worked out. And now I kind of can't really see myself playing for the Waratahs. But, yeah, it's 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 worked out. Yeah, not too bad, but um, hopefully have some success with the Rebels over the next few years. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting real stuck in and supporting and watching you guys because it's so cool getting to know your story and getting to know you a bit better. Let's go into the big part of the career for, I guess, any Australian sports person. Everybody knows who the Wallabies are. They're kind of one of the pinnacle teams in our country. Next to the cricketers, you'd call the Wallabies the second biggest almost sport team. What was your introduction into the Wallabies career and how special was that moment getting to represent your country? My first year was was such a whirlwind looking back. Like I, To be honest, I don't know, know how I'd do it if it kind of happened again, but I guess I was lucky enough to be called into the the squad for the June series against England in, in 2016. And, you know, I only played like probably seven, seven or eight rugby games at that time. So, you know, I was running around training in the squad with with guys like Izzy Folau and Will Genier and, you know, all sorts of these guys who I looked up to when I was a kid, um, like Quade Cooper. So it was kind of a bit of a shock to the system. But, um, yeah, I guess managed to make my debut over in New Zealand later in that year. I think uh, – it was actually the same game that Anton um, made his debut over in over in Wellington there, but um, 
yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a bit of a shock and managed to go on and, and play for 10 matches in my first year. And yeah, like it was just a, a massive whirlwind kind of year. Like I, I started off not thinking I was going to play for the Rebels. And, you know, by the end of the year, I was over in, you know, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, France and, and England playing, you know, on a spring tour for the Wallabies. So, yeah, it was a pretty special first year for me. Let's talk about once you joined the Wallabies team, that transition from being wow, I've joined the Wallabies to, okay, I want to be a core part of this team and I want to actually start making a bit of an impact. What kind of stuff in terms of bonding as a team to get past that like, oh, I've just joined the Wallabies, like this sort of special feeling to like, all right, let's start like making an impact. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What kind of things did you do at the beginning of your Wallabies career to get that kind of bond with everyone? Uh, look, I think on an individual level, there's, there's really no time in professional sport in general to to be shocked by the occasion or, you know, by the people surrounding you. I think if you if you really kind of wallow in that for, for too long, you're probably not going to perform on the field and you won't actually be there for too long. So for me, it was, you know, quickly just about transitioning to, you know, the, the thinking that I was there for a reason, you know, hopefully I'd, I kind of earned my spot and, you know, whatever I could do to help the team get results um, on the field, I, I was going to do. And I guess the nature of rugby teams is, you know, you always have kind of mutual friends from from teams before you come together and you kind of sort of know kind of guys from other teams. But the nature of Wallabies, these camps, is you kind of gel together nice and quickly because you have to because it's a team sport and, if you're not getting along with someone or you don't know them, you know, that well, you kind of have to pretty quickly. So I was, I was lucky that it was, you know, a really welcoming squad and everyone got along really well. And I guess those bonds that you form off the field really help. I guess it's a bit of a cliche, but they genuinely do help on the field. So I think as a team, those, those bonds are are really important. And I guess, like you said, I, I just wanted to be a core, core squad member and a core part of the team for, for years to come. I think, you know, I still remember getting interviewed in my first year and, you know, guys, they were kind of asking me, like, you know, how good is it to be part of the Wallabies? And I still remember, I, th- I don't know why I said this at the time, but I'm kind of glad I did. I said, you know, I don't want to be someone who plays, you know, two or three games to the Wallabies. And that's no disrespect to to guys who have only played two or three games, but I want to be that, that guy who, you know, plays 50 plus times for his country and earns every selection and, that's still the the kind of attitude that I want to have today. Like I'm, I think I'm on maybe 45 caps now, and like I, yeah, I'm really want to strive and, and push that as as high as possible, and really have some success with this team because I think we're kind of building really something really special, and there's a lot of good young guys coming through. So the uh, the 2023 World Cup in France hopefully will be a successful one for Australian rugby. Just the way that you talk about. That just gave me full chills and goosebumps. The the passion that you can see in your face talking about not just wanting to be just another player who's had a few caps. And like you said, no disrespect to anybody. It's obviously a huge achievement to get there. But to be somebody who irons their name into the legacy of Australian um, rugby union, it's it's obviously very well and truly on its way with, like you said, around 45 caps. But 
yeah, obviously heading into the future, there's a lot of big opportunities and big moments to really etch your name and etch the Wallabies team that you're in now into the history books. Let's talk about 2019 World Cup. I really want the listeners to get to know what happened in the World Cup for you in 2019. Yeah, so obviously everyone kind of, you know, dreams of, of playing in a World Cup when they're younger. I think, you know, we were lucky that the 2003 World Cup was in Australia and we kind of got to see kind of firsthand how amazing that, that whole World Cup experience is. And, you know, I always wanted to be a part of it. And I think my first game uh, against Fiji over in Japan at the 2019 World Cup, um, we had a decent win and there was kind of an incident that I, I didn't really think of like much at all at the time. Like I thought I just got bumped off, to be honest. And the crowd, you know, like the crowd was like doing the oohs and ahs and that was kind of just a, a physical kind of contact where, uh, one of the Fijian players like made a break down the front of the line out. I was playing on the right wing um, in the World Cup and kind of just went in to to try and tackle him. And, you know, after the game, I got cited for contact to the head with the shoulder and kind of world rugby was at the time really cracking down on on um, head contact and kind of injuries that, you know, could arise from from that head contact. And I still kind of, like, I understand how it happened and, um, you know, it is what it is, but managed to somehow get suspended for three weeks at the World Cup from that first game. And, yeah, I guess looking back on it, it was it was a pretty tough time. Like, you know, you you kind of go over to the World Cup and you're expecting to have success and, and really hoping to have success and play a few games and, and go all the way. And then there I was kind of sitting on the sidelines for three games, watching the, the rest of the pool matches, you know, from the sidelines, from the stands. I think it was actually kind of kind of funny some for some reason the rules that at the World Cup is you can't actually even be on the sideline and like sing the national anthem with the rest of the squad and stuff so I was literally like confined to prison up in the uh in the grandstand and had to wait for all the the non-playing squad to get up there after the national anthems but no I guess on a bigger picture like the way I kind of looked at the whole experience over there was you know I could either be down in the dumps and you know, sulk for for three weeks and think why this is happening to me or the way I kind of looked at it was, you know, this has happened, like it's not ideal, but for the next three weeks, I want to be the best squad member possible and and really help prepare the guys for, we had games against Wales, Georgia and Uruguay. So just really wanted to, I guess, throw everything into preparing the, the playing squad as best as possible for those three matches. And just, re- I was available again for selection for, the quarterfinal and I guess through my training performances, I, I really wanted to earn my spot, you know, back in that starting lineup for that quarterfinal. And luckily enough, the the coaches, you know, put their faith in me and, and picked me for that match. And, you know, it was pretty special to to be able to play in a quarterfinal, you know, even though I did miss those three games in between. So, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind first World Cup experience. And I'm really hoping that over the next few years, uh, next two years, I earn another chance at, at being there again in 2023. Yeah, mate, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for you. And with the mindset and like you just explained, the way that you take on challenges and take on those obstacles that are bound to come in everybody's sport career. And yeah, just a testament to the sort of person you are that, like you said, that mindset after having that setback to go and just give your mates and your country the best preparation possible for the other games. It's, it's a really special thing. So you should be really proud of that culture. Australian rugby, obviously such a special thing. 
How's it feeling in the team right now when it comes to culture and the sort of values and hard work that you guys are putting in? What kind of things do you think you guys will be working on? Um, I think last year being Dave Rennie and the and his coaching staff's first year, I think one thing that he was massive on was, you know, as as Michael Checker was in the past also, they just they just kind of go about it differently. They're both massive on culture. And I think one thing that was was pretty awesome um, to be a part of last year was um, I guess learning about more of our Pacific Islander cultures and and the different groups we have in the team. So he's a, he's a big guitar man, Dave, and kind of I had heard the kind of stories about teams he'd been with in the past, kind of sitting around with the guitar and, you know, singing songs and and kind of bonding that way. And so last year we, we learnt a Samoan song from all the Samoan boys, kind of took us through it, a Tongan song, a Fijian song, a... Uh, Maori song and a Cook Islander song and that was kind of the representative of all the different groups of people um, as well as Australians um, you know born like born and bred Australians that we had in the in the team so that was a really good way to I guess connect with people that you might not have in the team previously and a really good way of building the, the culture that ultimately is a massive part of having success as a team so um, it was yeah, it was pretty cool in terms of having a different cultural experience last year um, in the Wallabies compared to to what I'd kind of been used to previously. Yeah, and it's so important to get to know everybody deeper than just being a teammate. You know what I mean? Another thing that comes up quite a lot in sport nowadays is the mental side of sport, and obviously. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows that mental health is something that's super important to me and it's something that try I try and bring through a little bit in this podcast is kind of the mental side of things and what sort of structure and what sort of resources do you have within the Rebels and the Wallabies when it comes to the mental side of the game, whether it be sports psychs or just kind of that support network when it comes to that kind of stuff? Uh, so we've got a, a full-time, we, last year we had a full-time sports psych with the Wallabies and, you know, there's been a, a massive push, I guess, to have more resources in terms of that kind of side of the game in professional rugby in Australia. And I think it's a really good thing, especially for the young guys coming through and, you know, who might, I guess, not, I guess, prepare the same every week and, and give themselves every opportunity of succeeding on the field. And I think, you know, throughout kind of my five or six years now, um, of being at the Rebels and the Wallabies, there's always been someone you can you can talk to and get help with with um, I guess the mental aspect of rugby and life in general. So yeah, in terms of access and and the resources there, it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome. It's pretty top shelf, and you know some guys utilize it more than others. Like personally, I haven't really used um, like I've I've kind of had a few meetings with the sports psych at the Wallabies, and I guess talk through kind of the techniques that he uses and the techniques that I use and um, they're very similar but kind of um, adapted to me. Like I've kind of refined them over a, a long period of time and it's just good to see that I, I feel like I'm doing things relatively well and preparing and I guess reviewing quite well and and hopefully that kind of benefits performance, um, you know, both now and into the future. Yeah, it's cool how you talk about that and the word that comes to mind when you say that is responsibility. I feel like a lot of people when it comes to that aspect of sport and their life tend to just let it drift off and don't take responsibility. And it sounds like you've worked with your sports psych to 
um, the times that you have, you've kind of just reflected with him what you do and kind of giving you clarity that you're doing the right things. And it's really cool. And you should be stoked on that. Like taking accountability for that kind of side of your life is something that I feel like as a whole population, we need to be doing more often and reflecting and saying, oh, this works for me, this doesn't, and being open to trying new things. Yeah, absolutely. Another big thing I spoke to with Anton a couple of weeks back, I'm sure you're all right, mates, with Anton, played against him, probably smashed him a few times and been smashed by him a few times. But one thing that he really talked about was vulnerability and being in a team sport, it's so important to have that. And he went through some stuff that was just hard to actually open up about. And once he did, he felt like he could really take leaps and bounds forward. What's your take on vulnerability? Yeah, I think it's massively important. I think um, uh, probably more of kind of seeing other people be vulnerable and how much has helped them rather than, I guess, personal experiences. I think, you know, I'm quite lucky in that I've had, you know, a relatively uneventful kind of upbringing and I guess journey to, to where I am today in terms of, actually having to be vulnerable and, you know, tell people about my situation. But I've seen firsthand, you know, how guys have actually, you know, been vulnerable, asked for help, you know, told people that they're struggling and then been able to get through it with the support of, you know, teammates and and also kind of external people um, within the group. So I think in that sense, like being vulnerable is so important in a team. And I think it really, really um, allows you to, develop the bonds that we talked about previously like in the group and that ends up helping you on the field as well and yeah I'm, I'm probably on the same page as Anton there yeah I think the way that you describe it actually I find a lot of parallels to myself and I was I was actually speaking to Robbie Madison recently about it that sometimes I feel like my whole like business base of the good human factory is giving yourself the skills and the having the accountability and the responsibility to do these little things daily so that you don't have to be vulnerable in a weird way. And I feel like you talking about that is quite similar. Like I find it quite hard to open up to people, not because I don't go through stuff, but because I feel like I can work through them myself with the skills and the kind of resources that I have around me. I feel like I use them quite well and keep myself accountable to make sure that I'm on that right page. Does that kind of sound pretty similar to you? You pretty much hit the nail on the head, to be honest, bro. Like I think it's about obviously setting yourself up through the techniques that you use day to day. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be formal. It's different for different people. And, you know, like I know personally, like from talking to guys like Matt Tamura and Dan Hallett Petty, who I guess for listeners are, are both really experienced and really, I guess, older guys in in my squad at the Rebels and the Wallabies. And the techniques that they use are a lot more formal than the techniques I use, but they're pretty much exactly the same. So everyone's got their individual ways of, of dealing with things and setting themselves up to be the best player and the best person that they can. And it's about refining those and, and finding what works for you and, and makes, making sure that you do it consistently. Yeah. And that, that's a big one, the consistency. And I think just having that awareness to actually start seeking things that work for you. And I feel like too many people look for something, it doesn't work and they go, Oh no. And it just backwards spirals. But I think that's where I think we have a lot of parallels in being professional athletes. We, are very willing to search for new things. And if it doesn't work, trial and error and try something else. So I think that's just a good takeaway for listeners is if you try something because somebody tells you that it's going to be good for your mental health or your physical health or anything in your life and it doesn't work for you, it's so fine. Go try, find something else and just keep trying, keep trying. And you will land on something that works for you. And that's, I think, where people give up too easily. All right, 
Last question. What does being a good human mean to Reese Hodge? Um, being a good human for me is someone who who works hard, who treats other people with respect. And for me, like I just love smiling and being happy. And I guess if I can, you know, create a, a good energy, I guess for the people that I that I hang around and, and they can give me a bit back as well, then I guess happy days. Like I I think I just look at life quite simply and, and just try and embrace, I guess, every moment you know, whether it's a positive or a negative and just go with the flow really. So that's what being a good human is for me. And hopefully, uh, yeah, it brings me happiness and the people around me going forward. Yeah, I love that. It's, I actually posted a thing on the Good Human Factory yesterday. It's a quote from Dolly Parton that says, if you see somebody without a smile, give them one of yours. So the way that you describe that, you want to be a smiley person and bring positivity in the world is, yeah, it's great to hear that from somebody of your stature and in your career path so mate thank you so much for jumping on good humans podcast it's been an absolute pleasure getting to have a chat and get to hear your story i'm sure all the listeners are going to be very inspired by your journey and yeah let's let's go the wallabies in the next world cup eh? yeah awesome bro thanks for having me on again cheers brother Good Humans was presented by me, Cooper Chapman. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 